You're listening to the Driven by Design Now Awards podcast. I'm Mark Bergen, founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is Kirsten Mann. Hi, Kirsten. Hey, Mark. How are you? Look, I'm fantastic. How's the last month been in uh, making a better future? Well, I think you have been talking about making a better future. I think you have been extensively on the road. Well, Kirsten, you know we're kicking off the Paris Design Awards this mm-hmm. year, and I've actually had my first visit to Paris. So you've done Paris. Where else have you been? Oh, look, I've been to Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane for the launch of mm-hmm. the awards programs there, yeah, but I want to go to Paris because in February we went in and began this series of talks at uh, Pause Festival where we began talking about design in the boardroom mm-hmm. and I've now just been to Paris where I've delivered that and I've got to tell you it is a topic which is resonating on so many levels you know people want to know about the culture of mm-hmm. design in the boardroom they want to know about the strategy they want to know how where does the craft part of design fit in because without that masterful craft going really deep you might have the board who love it, but you just haven't got the people who create magic. So mm-hmm. so that's great. And then tying it all together, talking about how you follow the money, because as, as you and I both know, if you're in a boardroom and you're just talking about soft values, it doesn't fly. It doesn't. If you go in and you talk in the boardroom about money, then all of a sudden they go, oh, that's kind of why we're in business, yeah. isn't it? And a lot of people forget that. You know, we're not here just to do nice things. We're here to actually create a return for the investors. And that growth and the markets are moving, so we have to have a really good understanding about following the money, which is design in the boardroom, then leads to all of those other things. So I'm obviously pumped after coming back from Paris. Well, I'm about to leave you too, so we're going to have an interesting conversation. So where are you off to? I'm going to off to Stockholm. And that's um, leading the product that Fantastic. we're doing over there. So again, it will probably I can imagine there'll be themes around this, um, design in the boardroom as well there. But also Russia and Germany. So Russia let's, and let's Germany. Hope I make it wow. Back. <laughs> so uh, actually, so uh, well, I'm about to head off too. So, so it's really funny that we've got this pit stop where we're both in Melbourne at the same time, and we get and we get to go do the podcast because listeners, this year is a nightmare for us scheduling this because um, both Kirsten and I have decided that. Melbourne is probably a great place to have your home, but actually the work opportunities and working with people globally means we've got to be on planes. You've got to be on the road. Australia's a long way from everywhere. That's right, but I'm I'm about to head off next week to go to New York where we'll do a Design in the Boardroom talk and we'll also launch the New York Design Awards. Then I go to Iceland again. Oh, man. I'm going to Design March there because we're launching the Better Future Summit in May 2020, listeners, put in your diary, May 2020, first week of May That's in where 2020. You, so you have to be in Iceland, Iceland. in May 2020. Is That's the it. That's the message. Yep. But we're going there to launch it during Design March, which is fantastic. And, of course, I'll be doing a Design the Boardroom in Iceland, which I which is pretty good. Then I go to London. We'll be doing another launch for the London Design Awards and also design in the boardroom. And we've been really lucky that the team at Priestman Gouda, who are just like doyens, you know, gods of the design world, are actually going to be hosting us. So like, I know the next couple of weeks are going to be great. You're going to have some fun. And luckily, we've still got some fantastic awards in play that we get to speak about. <laughs> There's so much great stuff here. <laughs> so let's focus in on these projects here. And the first project that we're going to do is we're going to Shenzhen. Well, and it's an unusual one, right? Like, it's, when you think of a data centre, it doesn't normally create um, visions of amazing design, does it? So we're going to say that this is a beautiful data centre. And <laughs> I don't think those words have ever been used in a combination because data centres are treated as pieces of infrastructure yep. that have... Pretty much like a big shed. Yeah, <laughs> and they're featureless without any windows mm-hmm. or 
Yeah, they have no value to them that you would say has ascetic or public amenity. So this, it's, is it Quinay Data Centre? I'm going to go with that, uh, but I'm sure that one of our listeners will help <laughs> us out with some better <laughs> pronunciation there. And it's the team at Meccano, who we've seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, they did the, uh, that amazing... Um, uh, Civic Centre, Convention Centre in Taiwan last yep. year that we saw. But uh, so the team at Meccano here, it's a 113 metre tall um, building. It's going to be a lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that they go put a, a huge LED screen all around the building so it actually becomes part of the public amenity so rather like, than public embarrassment. Right. So it's basically public art is what they're doing here and creating something that's, you know, a public art display versus just the eyesore that you see in the middle of the... Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and so what I like about this is that they're turning around and that they've taken the greatest weakness of the building and turned it into its greatest strength and in the process of that given something which will be an object of desire and delight for the community rather than an eyesore. I so think that's I th a tick. It is. And, and the um, various awards we're talking about today it's, the kind of link here is value, really. And this one has got the value of beauty in the public realm. It has. And, and you know, when we get to that, that you, it's very hard to propose something now which is actually going to diminish the experience of the public. Mm -hmm. And so what the team at Meccano have been doing here, along with the um, commissioners of the data centre, is working out how do they go and build that public realm beauty while also having an efficient building, because the other option is that you dig a hole and you put the data centre in the ground, so that's a more expensive. So they've been able to go actually perform from a financial investment and they've also been able to look at the investment in the community. It'd be very cool to see what comes up on those screens. I think so we might see if we can get a logo on there yeah. one day, yeah? <laughs> so speaking of data and exchange, we're going over to Hong Kong now for we, the first ever API exchange. Now, listeners, if you're not familiar with what an API is, it's a um, shorthand term for application program interface. And it's basically how different machine-to-machine -machine communication mm -hmm. happens. And so what's happening here is that the banks in Hong Kong have said, look, we've had a look and we think there's probably 13 APIs, that we're, sorry, 100 APIs that we could use between 13 banks. Mm -hmm. And that that should mean that we can get rid of a lot of the costly proprietary systems that we've got and we can go to something which is an open facilitation, open uh, banking system, lower cost of transaction, but it also means that the people in Hong Kong become technical experts faster. Well, this is the thing, right? Like, this is a really first mover advantage where you've got Hong Kong becoming like this tech center for banking. And as you said, it's this, something like this will speed up transactions because and make them not only faster, but lower cost ultimately. So it's something that banks then reduce their overheads from doing that. And you'd think that if they're not having to contend with as much legacy systems, their people can be redeployed to actually focusing on creating better experiences. And how many times have we heard people who have got jobs to be done and the reason they can't get those jobs done is that they need to go and find an engineering team and the engineering team is busy putting out fires rather yep. than working on enhanced customer experiences. Completely. So, yeah, I mean, this is, we've got a different type of value being expressed here, haven't we? We have. And, and so I think, you know, that, that value of convenience mm -hmm. uh, that's in here and by creating that spare 
time for those people, they then get a chance to go work on higher value experiences for their customers. For the future. It's a better future. It is. All right, let's keep going on then. Now, you into motorcycles? I'm, I'm, well, this one was an interesting one, right? This was the Novus Electronic Motorcycle. Now, I must admit, I, I don't mind an electronic bike. So I was kind of trying to see what the difference between this yeah, was and I've a bike. Got, I've got no idea where an, uh, where an electric motorcycle and an electric bike Where's the crossover? Maybe it's speed. Yeah, it must be. Like, uh, and maybe size would be the other one as well. Yeah, so, so this, yeah. this, because if you go think of the difference between you know the idea of a the bike and the and the motorbike mm. was one of them had um, a propulsion system and the other one gave you legs. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> and so when you get into the electric bike, you go, hmm, not really sure where the crossover is. So this but is like the Tesla of motorcycles. So it we've, is, and that's we've what's interesting. We've seen the Tesla of tractors. Yes, with John Deere. Yeah, we've seen the Tesla of aeroplanes. Mm -hmm. And what? so what's really interesting about this is that they've worked out that they don't need a massive machine. Mm -hmm. And so the, the frame on this, the industrial design from an aesthetic perspective is beautiful. But they've also worked out how to reduce the amount of knobs and buttons there are. And so that transforms the motorbike from being a hardware device with embedded technology mm -hmm. into being a software device that can be upgraded at any time. So you don't have to get rid of your old motorbike when you want something else to work or something new comes up, you can redeploy the software. Now, I think I shared with listeners last year, I went and sold my car. So I am now a man without car, which mm -hmm. has some of my friends over the age of 60 can't understand how you can do that. <laughs> Whereas uh, my friends who are under the age of 40 go, of course. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yep. And, <laughs> I'm, and I'm in that dead band there. And uh, so... When I sold my car, I was really frustrated that my Bluetooth in the car would actually do calls, but it wouldn't stream music from my phone. And there was no upgrade That sounds path. like a very first world problem, it, I look, it, it is, a, it, but, but actually, if you go think through that, yeah. what that means is that people are saying, well, I'm throwing out a car. Yeah, so it's I not get exactly them. a small disposable item, is it? No, no. And, and so that, so having devices which are software upgradable mm. rather than the hard, embedded hardware dependent, is obviously much better for a better future, that it turns around and it increases the life cycle of the item. And actually in the case here of the Novus, it just makes the thing look very Tron. And I'll tell you what, the transportation industry, it's one of the most interesting in terms of technology and design, but it really is fascinating. Like they're totally rethinking across that industry at the moment. So I'm loving what we're seeing coming through with the now awards. So, okay, so let's go here. We'll go across to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Now, Chicago isn't just a fantastic musical. It was this powerhouse of a city. Now, and why was it the powerhouse was of a well, city? <laughs> I feel like I'm a politician. Yeah. Here we go. So, so the, reason it was a uh, the, sorry, the reason it was a powerhouse was that it was at the crossroads of commerce. So all the, the, the railway systems. All the railway systems came in there. But that's meant that there's actually been some additional railway infrastructure than they currently need. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this is happening around the world. We're seeing yeah. Hudson Yards in mm -hmm. New York. We've got the Brownfield site. Brownfield that's site. We've got the King's Cross site in, uh, in London. Mm -hmm. We've also, you know, just across the road from us here in Melbourne, there's the Federation Square development. They, people are actually working out how to capture the value in these rail yard areas. And this is a massive area, right? Like, is it something like 55 acres? 55 also? acres, which is 22 hectares, which if people just want to do a comparison, it's twice the size of Hudson Yards in New York, mm -hmm. and it's a little bit smaller than the King's Cross development in London. 
The King's Cross development in London already has 30,000 people living in it. They put in 20 new streets. It's got 70 new buildings. It, it's phenomenal. And we all know what's happening with, you know, there's at least uh, seven major towers that are going up in Hudson Yard. So th these are major sites. They're huge. And what they're doing is providing new value for the community, right? Like this is the angle there that basically they're capturing economic value through placemaking. Well, and, and if they don't use placemaking, they go into the old slow uptake economic mm -hmm. cycle. This is $6 billion that's been put on the table. And I think anybody who says, I'm going to spend $6 billion, wants to start to go see a return mm -hmm. on that money as soon as possible. Placemaking's been deployed. They're working out how the environments that they're creating are actually zero day ready for people to move in and that they're getting a chance to go and talk about the place where they're living which is functional, not talk about how it will be functional in five years' time, which slows down the economic return for, uh, for property development. So it's a fantastic project here at Lincoln Yards. And I think what's interesting there is that it's the value of making place mm -hmm. is what's being put into it. And it, that can sound a bit like gibberish, but actually it's a really important economic driver. Mm. And our final award goes to the vaccination drones. Now, I, I love this project, I've got to say, because basically, if you think about it, drones, particularly in the construction tech industry, it's been gone through the roof in terms of adoption. And so this project was, and it's really valuable, but this is actually life-saving. We're talking about a life-saving so, use so of drones. So this is using drones to deliver vaccines to people in, say, low transport environments, where mm -hmm. it might take half a day or a day to get from A to B. And because the vaccines that are uh, that need to be refrigerated, then they don't have the, the chance to go take a refrigerated vehicle with them because they're often in boats. And what they can do is that they can use the drones to go have a very short flight, five minutes or 10 minutes because it's line of sight. You're in Vanuatu, which has much lower compliance requirements for air traffic. And that, that in itself, right? Like this, this is it Scoop Aero, I think is a Melbourne company, dealing with a problem in Vanuatu. And we've got a country there that's able to, in some ways, innovate more effectively because they haven't got the same compliance restrictions with air that we have in other places. And then what's really interesting is they've got an appetite from the boardroom, mm -hmm. which is the government has said, we have a, a herd immunity problem. We haven't got vaccination up in all parts of the country. And therefore our health system is at risk because of low vaccination rates. We want to solve this so that we can go get the same herd immunity benefits that are in the first world mm -hmm. for our developing country. So they're investing in the value of health, right? They are, and, and so that, but what I think is really important is this isn't a nice project for Vanuatu, it's an important project. Mm. And it's, it's when you see things move from being nice to important that all of a sudden they've got a charge that will actually carry them through. Yep. And so you've got some really cool drone technology um, you've, and, and they're um, autonomous vehicles, unmanned autonomous vehicles, UAVs, which means that they have to be smart not to crash into things. Mm -hmm. They need to actually provide a vital, you know, so it's an outbound service that they've got, so they have to be reliable enough to actually recover themselves and head back to base. Mm -hmm. They need to go find the clinical staff who are in position so that they can apply, apply yeah. the vaccines. 
And you go, there's a bunch of logistics here, but you've got to get out of the technology and out of the logistics and begin to think of the system design that's going in so that they can get that value of herd immunity, which then brings the experiential value of universal public health to the people in Vanuatu. And that's something that the first world takes for granted. Mm. The developing world is still trying to work out how to solve it. I, I'm gobsmacked by yeah, this project. It's an amazing project. So Kirsten, we've been able to get through our projects. Both of us are about to get on a plane. And uh, I think when we're next catching up, it's likely that we're both going to be in Germany. <laughs> this could be exciting. I know. So yeah. I because I thought, how are we going to do the next podcast? We might both be in Germany at the same time. So there we go. But listeners, as we always say, you know, be driven by design. Focus on how you've got your expedition for a better future going. And most importantly, put in the 5th to the 8th of May in Reykjavik. And 2020. We'll, in no, 2020. Not this year. No, not this year. Well, good, picked up there. Yeah. In 2020, 5th to 8th of May, Reykjavik for the Better Future Summit. We've got 40 amazing uh, design leaders who are already involved with us uh, to go lead the panels. There'll be all of the details that you need uh, with the associated links in the podcast. But um, we look forward to seeing you there. Kirsten, thanks for your time. Thanks, Mark, as always.